Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with Mental Health America of Wisconsin. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We're sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of others who do as well. By sharing stories of lived experiences, we expose depression for the lying bully it is. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry, and welcome back. How did your training go? It was really good. I learned a lot, and I hope uh, I'm able to use it in our Facebook community. I know you will. Thanks. If you've listened to this podcast more than once, then you've heard more than one description of depression and its symptoms, including irritability, feeling deep sadness, feeling deep nothingness, hmm. the loss of joy, energy, and hope. And those are just some of the many signs to be on the lookout for in ourselves and in others. But what about a stomach ache? A bad dream. Those aren't possible signs of depression, right? Well, they sure can be, especially when we're talking about children, which is the focus of today's episode. Our guest today is Susan Ringel, a licensed professional clinical counselor and registered play therapist who does a lot of work with children and adolescents. Today, she's giving us some backstage professional insights into the signs and symptoms that she sees in young patients so that we as adults can know what to look for and how to respond. Here is Susan Ringel giving her voice to depression. Yeah, it's not unusual for children to present completely differently than adults. Uh, most of the time when a child has what we would call clinical depression as opposed to being truly just sad. I mean, if someone you love, grandma or grandpa, passes away, a child is going to be sad. Mm -hmm. um, that's not a clinical issue. It's when it becomes to the point that they are dysfunctional, can't eat, can't sleep, um, are no longer able to do the things they normally love. That would be an indication that we've reached depression stage. Ringel emphasizes that most of the time, a child's depression, and we are talking all ages here, does not look like the typical sadness that we're classically trained to look for. For kids, it can look as simple as uh, regressive behavior. They start acting like they're a lot younger than they are. Um, they like to go back to that time when life was simpler, didn't have to make so many decisions, didn't have so many problems. Oh. Lots of feelings of guilt and shame. Shame is much worse than guilt. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Great. Shame is, I am something wrong. Oh. And you'll hear kids say things like, I'm no good. I'm worthless. Don't even bother with me. Why bother is a big phrase. Uh, you'll hear a lot. And again, the somatoform disorders, the tummy aches, the headaches. Signs that you can pick up pretty quickly other signs to look for include what are called vegetative symptoms, which often cluster into two different types of depression. One with people tending to eat less, sleep less, and being more likely to feel agitated. And the other presentation, just the reverse, with people tending to eat more, often craving sweets and starches, sleep more, and feel more lethargic. 
Other depression warning signs to be on the lookout for in children include common to wake up uh, early in the morning, two, three in the morning, and can't get back to sleep. That's a classic sign mm. of depression. Mm. Parents can look for those. Lack of energy. If they no longer are interested in the things they've always been interested in before. Right. If Legos was my favorite toy in the universe, and now no toy is interesting, not even my Legos, and it's, yeah, okay, whatever, Mom. Yeah, I could do that. I just don't feel like it. Kind of an indication that something is going on that might be more than just temporary sadness. Withdrawing from friends can be a classic red flag. Um, when kids decide they don't want to be with their peers, that's generally a symbol that they're withdrawing from society. They want to isolate from the exertion it takes to interact with other people. Of course, the way these symptoms exhibit will look really different in a teen than a toddler. And yes, really young children can have depression. The good news is that there is an expert on your child who can help. I may know what symptoms might look like, but parents are the experts on their child. And if they see something's different, mm -hmm. something's not usual, that's, that's a good sign that we need to do some more exploring. And yes, there are a million reasons why a child would withdraw from their peers. It could be their peers are doing something they don't agree with, and they're actually making a very good choice to stay away from some peers. Um, we need to do a lot more questions, a lot more exploring before we jump to conclusions and assume this is clinical depression. If you have those needed conversations and it becomes clear that maybe there is something emotional or psychological going on, or you just don't know what's up, but you know it's something and it worries you. What's the next step? Ringle suggests four things, which you can remember with the acronym COAL, C-O-A-L, like what you put in someone's stocking when they're naughty. The C is curiosity. The O is observation. The A is acceptance. And the L is loving guidance. So let's start by looking at our kid and saying, hmm, they're being like really kind of disrespectful and that's not normally like my child. Mm -hmm. And they're actually kind of throwing a tantrum and they're usually very quiet and they don't do that sort of thing. Or I'm noticing that they're turning down chocolate cake and they have never in their lives turned down chocolate cake. On a regular basis, not just one night, mm -hmm. but on a regular basis, those are indications that something's going on. Hmm. So there's the curiosity. The O in coal is observation. Watch. Is this just something that is a temporary thing? They had a fight with a friend. Maybe it's not doing so well. Watch carefully. What do you see? Are they sleeping well? Are they eating normally? Do they seem to respond to some friends, but maybe not others? It may be an indication that um, there's just an interpersonal conflict. Do they ask you a lot of questions? about grandma or grandpa? Are they worried that they might be passing? Is there anything that we can see just by observing what's going on? Anything out of the ordinary? The A in Cole stands for acceptance. Whatever's going on with your kid, it's not because your kid's a jerk. It's because something is bothering them. They're not trying to act out or be rude because they have nothing better to do with their lives. They're trying to give you a message and they don't even know what they're feeling. All they know is it hurts. So we need to just accept where they're at, that they're trying to get their needs met in a way that's just not working. Mm -hmm. So we want to help them, the L, the loving guidance, to find what will work that is healthy. 
Maybe they have that empty feeling inside and they need to eat six bags of Cheetos. Let's find something else than <laughs> six bags of Cheetos six times a day. We can help them find something else that'll fill that empty hole. Okay, so when we're at the loving part, if we think something's up here, something's different, and again, you know, I, I, I think it's harder to learn all the signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety and even suicidal thoughts than it is to say, oh, something's different with my kid. So if you're at that point and maybe you realize you're over your skis, if that's the right expression, you know, you're out of your mm-hmm. comfort range, you're out of your expertise. Who do you go to and what do you say? Is it the primary care physician? Is it a therapist? You know, it's not the school counselor anymore. Well, actually, school counselors are still available in the schools. As soon as the school starts up this fall, they're more than happy to help give you some referrals and resources. They're actually usually the first line of contact. Um, Pediatrician is great. They can refer you to someone. If you look on the back of your insurance card, there's always a customer service number on the back, and you can call them and say, hey, I think my child is having some emotional struggles and they might be feeling kind of sad. Who do you recommend? They can give you a list of providers in your area uh, where you can go and get screening. Ringel says pediatricians often do the initial screening to evaluate if your child's symptoms warrant a formal evaluation by a psychotherapist or psychologist. And we've learned that a regular doctor can be an easier sell to both the child and the parent, since it's a more familiar and less charged or stigmatized relationship and setting. If the doctor determines your child has enough symptoms of a mental illness and has experienced them for a significant period of time, that usually being two or more weeks, to warrant a full evaluation, Ringel says take the time to find a professional who works with children and then stay in contact with them through the evaluation and any needed treatment. And what about the parents? So now you've got a child mm-hmm. who, let's say, you know, has had those evaluations and in fact is diagnosed with a clinical depression, anxiety, a bipolar disorder, something that is going to require a change in the way, what you have to tune into now, what you have to know and pay attention to and be supportive of. Right. The entire concept of being a parent for a child who has a very serious disorder is terrifying. It's terrifying to think that something bad might happen for your child. It makes us all anxious and confused because it's the most important person in our lives and we love our children, we would do anything for them. It also wears us because of all that anxiety and depression and what our kids need what the kids need is a very refreshed, happy, competent, confident parent. But parents getting their own help is extremely important because living with someone depression with depression is in itself depressing. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And we often feel powerless and helpless, which is not a nice place to be. Mm-hmm. Often leads us into our own depression as parents. Mm-hmm. So we ask ourselves, what does your child deserve? Do they deserve a parent who is tired and exhausted and frustrated and feeling helpless? Or do they deserve a parent who is refreshed and feeling heard and feeling proud that they can help their child? Mm -hmm. Of course, our kids deserve the best. So we want to be that best. Mm -hmm. And we need to learn some new adaptive skills. 
for that child. And that does not come overnight. It is not quick and easy. We need to take the time as parents to really learn those things because nobody in the world is going to be better for your kid than the parent is for their kid. They might come to my office and see me for an hour, but they're going to go home and see their parents for another 60, 70 hours a week. If you screen them and there's not a problem, hallelujah, let's go home and watch Disney shows, right? We're great. Mm -hmm. But if there is, you will be grateful that you checked. You point out that having a child with a mental health challenge is not the norm, but it's also not uncommon. Oh, no. Statistically, we know two out of five people anywhere at any time are diagnosable with a considerable mental health disorder. Most people in the field will closer to four out of five. I'm not talking about your usual phobia. I don't like spiders. I don't like spikes. That snakes, that's pretty common. We understand how that is. But I'm talking the number of people who walk around with some sort of social anxiety, uh, depression, anxiety disorders. It's actually a mood disorder of some level. It's actually quite a bit bigger than what we would expect. And I didn't bring that up to sound like, yeah, but everybody, you know, I, I just mean that we can't be you know, afraid to get the help or embarrassed to get the help or to say, wow, my kid is really struggling right now to another parent because you're very often going to hear mine too or me too, you know? Oh, yeah. Very common. Very common. I often hear parents say that uh, when they speak to a friend about it or uh, a sister or brother or someone they met at a meeting and they'll say, oh, yes, my child is struggling with anxiety right now or struggling with depression. It's astonishing. They say about 8 out of 10 is what the parents are reporting back to me. 8 out of 10 will say, yes, my kid is struggling with that too. Do you have any ideas? Do you know of anything? And people are often afraid to reach out. The stigma is very sad. I wish we could uh, change that. Parents with children of depression often describe their own experience as being filled with self-blame and distress, uncertainty, helplessness, and frustration. And that can trigger the child then to, to, to not feel safe, right? Because their parent is indeed feeling distress because their child's not happy. And now the parent's anxiety level goes up and the kid's feeding off of that too. So it is sort of a vicious cycle or can be sort of a vicious cycle of, you know, amplification. It certainly can be, which is the, you know, more justification for why we need to take care of ourselves as adults and we need to make sure our children are getting the care they need because uh, it, it is a cycle and we can certainly respond to each other. Especially during these times of, of you know, uncertainty and chaos. I think there's fewer eyes on kids right now. You know, I was just this morning talking with a grade school teacher and, you know, the idea that she's sitting behind a screen seeing her whole class and then it's the parents, you know, right now the parents are really the ones who are going to have to notice behavioral change, attitude change, you know, mental state changes because the kids are home with the parents all day right now. Mm -hmm. You know, the school counselor is not checking in with them on a regular basis. And it, it just seems like there's fewer eyes on kids. So I'm really glad that we're doing this right now as school starting up again. And for many, that will be online. 
And we have to acknowledge the very um, sad reality that not all parents are caring and nurturing, and so other adults will also need to keep an eye on children uh, to the degree that they have access, whether that's a neighbor, whether that's a aunt, uncle, that kind of thing. But if you see a child who does appear to be really struggling or or, or worse things might be happening, um, you know, it's, it's a time we need to get involved because, as you say, the teachers aren't seeing them and they don't have the opportunity to just step into the next room and have a little privacy. So stepping back from that, we're going to link to the Mental Health America's online screening tool. It's a really credible source and it is just a great thing to be able to do, especially now. You can screen yourself for depression, anxiety, your child can do the same, and you can do it every day if you want so that you can keep track of whether or not your symptoms are worsening or improving. And then when you do go to a doctor, if they're worsening or a therapist or whomever, you have that as a little like chart as a as a progress report that instead of just saying some days it's good, some days it's bad, you know, you can actually say since last week, I have, you know, gone up in these certain areas and scales. So it's a really good tool to use and uh, recommend it to everybody. Right. Like write it down on your calendar in a little corner, right? That mm-hmm. number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Also want to just mention there were some audio issues in that interview, but there was nothing we could do about it. There was a terrible storm in the Midwest that night, and uh, we were both dealing with lightning and high winds, and that was the best we could do. So thank you to Susan Ringel. Uh, We appreciate your um, backstage look at all this and uh, for helping us help ourselves and our children to stay safe. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.